If we have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, uh, the title of my study today um, is The Answer to Worrying. And it's a, it's a text that many of you guys are familiar with. Um, we've probably heard it hundreds of times being taught, right? And yet, uh, you and I, um, we continue to worry. And so that's why it's important to, to talk about it. I want to start real quickly because there's several slides. And the reason why I wanted to show you these slides is just to highlight um, what, a, what a, an important thing uh, this thing called anxiety is. Because in the Bible, the word trouble, that's the definition. It's called anxiety. And yet, you probably know someone, whether it's a friend or family member, or maybe you, who are dealing with one form of anxiety or another. Uh, for some, it's severe. For some, it's moderate. And for some, it's mild. But you probably, I would bet, if I was a betting man, uh, know somebody that is struggling with some kind of anxiety. Uh, the first slide that we want to show you is just anxiety in the United States. Did you know that there's over 40 million people in the United States that suffer with anxiety? Uh, pastor Manny and I ran into a pastor at a, at a pastor's um, uh, meeting, and he, he, he asked for prayer. He says, you know, I, I'm dealing with anxiety. Believe it or not, pastors, they're, they're human too. He says, I'm dealing with anxiety, and it's scary. And I went to the doctor, and the doctor wasn't surprised. He said, anxiety is now like the common cold. That's a scary thing to think about, especially if you've ever dealt with some form of anxiety. And so there's 40 million people as of 2018 that are struggling with one form of anxiety or another. That's a lot of people. By gender, uh, mostly women are affected by it, 23.4 women. 23% uh, of women um, are affected by this, uh, this disorder, I guess we'll call it, right? 14.3% of men um, are affected by anxiety. There's different severities uh, to this disease. 43.5% uh, suffer with a mild case of anxiety. 33.7% uh, deal with a moderate case. And 228 which is a lot, deal with a severe form of anxiety. Uh, different types of anxiety. There's something they even named it called generalized anxiety, uh, GAD they call it. 3.1% uh, of the population, that's 6.8 million people deal with it. Um, there's something else called panic disorder, that's 2.7 of the population, that's 6 million people that are affected with this anxiety. And then there's something called social anxiety, which is basically a social phobia, 6.8% of the population, that's 15 million people that are affected by um, and then there's also something called specific phobia, which is when you're afraid of heights, when you're afraid of spiders, when you're afraid of different things like that. That's 8.7% of the population, 19 million people are out there. So I'm throwing out these numbers, these slides, um, so that you'll understand the magnitude of what we're dealing with. Um, those of us that are, are old enough, maybe we're born in the 70s and the 80s, I don't know if we heard about this as much. Perhaps it existed, but I, I, I look back and I, and, and I don't see that I saw it as much as I see it today. Uh, anxiety is, is increasing. This poll that was taken in 2018, the prior time the poll was taken, which is 2017, it had gone up five points, five percentage points. That's 2018. We live in, in you know, the, 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 the most anxious times in our lifetime politically divided, racially divided. We have this virus that 
we were praying and hoping would, would go away if we just were shut down for 15, 20 days, two weeks, and it's still here among us. Um, we live during some anxious times. So do you think it's up since 2018? Uh, you better believe it. Do you know who the most anxious generation is? Uh, sorry, uh, young adults, uh, millennials. 20 to 40 years old are the ones that deal with the most anxiety in the United States. And there's different forms of anxiety, um, you know, because you could say, well, I, I maybe have dealt with anxiety. I've been worried, and, you know, but it hasn't stopped me. Well, there's, there's different forms of anxiety. There's that anxiety that handicaps you, and then there's that anxiety that I think a lot of us deal with. Um, you know, for some which just deal with common anxiety, they worry about paying bills, about getting a job, about breakups or other important life events. But for the person that has this disorder of anxiety, they're dealing with constant and unsubstantiated worry that causes significant distress and interferes with their daily life. That's the difference. The person that just deals with a common anxiety, they deal with embarrassment or self-consciousness in uncomfortable or awkward social situations. Many of us been been there. But the people that have this disorder, they deal with uh, de just getting away from any type of uh, social situations. They're, sh they're shut-ins for fear of being judged, for fear of being embarrassed, or for fear of being humiliated. Um, people that deal with regular uh, common uh, anxiety, they, they, they feel nerves, they sweat before a big test, before a business presentation, or before a study. Um, uh, where the person who deals with the, an anxiety disorder has irrational fear. It, it doesn't make sense, and you can tell them, and they can, they, can, they can agree with you that it doesn't make sense, and yet there's this panic that comes over them. Uh, they could be in a place, a situation that poses little or no threat of danger and nevertheless they still feel anxiety. Um, people that have common anxiety deal with uh, realistic fear of a dangerous object, a place or a situation in a healthy way, but people that deal with anxiety disorders on a more serious scale, uh, they have recurring nightmares, they have flashbacks, they have emotional numbing related to a traumatic event that occurred several months or even years before. And so I could go on and on and on, worry tends to reside in the person that deals with common anxiety in their minds. And the person that deals with a more severe form of anxiety, it affects their bodies and their minds. And so we got to pray because we have brothers and sisters within this body that are dealing with, uh, with disorders. Where they have to go to the doctor where they've been fighting it and dealing with it for a long time. And my heart goes out to them. This study isn't, isn't to... To, to put them down in any way, we, we acknowledge the fact that there are some people that because of the fact that we live in fallen bodies in a fallen world, the devil is attacking us all the way. There, there's sickness of the body and then there's also sickness that, that can affect our minds. But the reason why I want to talk about anxiety is because it, it stems from what? It can stem from worrying. It can stem from worrying, which is something that we all do. You know that there's over 50 medications on the market for anxiety? 50 medications on the market for anxiety. I, I, think about that. These companies are in the business to make money. There's 50 different competitors putting out medicine for anxiety because there's so many people dealing with it. There's so much worrying. Um, and again, I want to put it in perspective. There's a difference between the disorder anxiety and the, just the common form of anxiety. But it all stems, right? It all stems from, from worrying. And so what can we do? 
or, or better yet, who can help? Well, that's why I wanted to, uh, to teach on, on Matthew chapter 6. Let me go ahead and pray once more, and then we'll, we'll get into the text. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for allowing us to study your word. And I just pray that you would lead today's study, God, that you would teach your daughters and your sons. And, Lord, we do want to lift up those people that are struggling with anxiety. Lord, we pray that, God, you would help us with our worries. But, Lord, we especially pray for anyone that has this disorder, God, and is struggling. I talked to so many young adults that are dealing with this, Lord. I pray, God, that uh, you bring calm to their lives, you bring healing, and, Lord, that you would be their peace. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to read verses 25 through 27, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He then asks the question, Are you not more of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So we, before we get into to the main subject, with this, which is worrying, and why we shouldn't worry as Christians, I want to just touch on the first two words because I think it's important to the context of our study. The first word that we see there is the word what? There's the word therefore, huh? And those of you guys that have been coming here to church or have been in Bible studies or have studied the Bible, you know that anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, what you should do? You should ask, why is it therefore? Right? The word therefore in all reality in this, this, this text puts what we're going to read today in context. Therefore, well, therefore what? Therefore, deal with the issue of covetousness. Because that's, that's in, in light of what Matthew 6 is talking about, at least verses 19 through 24. In a nutshell, it's talking about not laying your riches here on earth, but laying your riches in heaven, right? Look what it says in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon being money. He's dealing with covetousness. If we read it in the context of why we're to, we worry sometimes, it's because we as fallen people have that covetousness in us. We always want more. I, I see that in myself sometimes. I ask God to help me with that. But that's the context. Warren Worsby in his commentary, he, he read it in context. He says, covetousness will not only cheapen our riches, but it will also cheapen us. We will start to become worried and anxious, and this anxiety is unnatural, and it's unspiritual. The person who pursues money thinks that riches will solve his or her problems, when in all reality, riches only create more. Remember the rich man ruler? Those of you that are familiar with, with the gospel story in Matthew, when he approached Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he says, I've kept all of them to a T. I've kept them all perfect. And, and Jesus, knowing that that wasn't true, wanted to humble him. He knew about the riches that he owned. And so what did he do? He hit him right where it hurts. He says, okay, you're perfect. Okay, you've kept all the commandments. you kept the law to a T. Well, then this is what you have to do in order to be saved. 
give away everything you own and come and follow me. So what did the dude do? He, he walked away kicking rocks, right? He walked away distressed. He walked away sad because he had so much. My point is that when we have a lot and compared to the rest of the world, guys, I know that you might be saying, but that's not me. I live paycheck to paycheck. Guys, compare yourself to the rest of the world and you'll realize just how rich we are. In Matthew 19, 23, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, Surely I say to you that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Notice he said it, it, it's hard. It's not impossible because we know people that are generous. We know people that have money, that God has blessed them with money, and they use it to give. They use it to bless others. They use it for the kingdom of God. I think those are the people that are going to be healthy. Those are the people that God's going to be able to use more. Those are going to be the people that are going to walk away not serving mammon but serving the true master jesus christ because i ever heard of like the people that win the lotto and and and, you know you see them on tv and you know you see them with the big old giant ticket right or the big old check you know 500 million dollars they won you're like man i wish that was me well check in on them years later and see how their life is most of them will tell you that it's miserable i know that some of you are saying i would like that problem uh, but, man, I don't know if you do. You don't know who really loves you for you. You, you. you spend it all, you know, just on things that don't matter, and you walk away knowing that you're empty. It, it, it's tough. You know, when we first went to Cambodia, one of the poorest countries in the world, we talked about the fact that when we went to the orphanages, the kids didn't have shoes. We talked about the fact that when we went to that home where we stood at and it was time to eat, the people didn't eat me. And of course we should help them. That's why God blessed us. That's why God sent us. To help them, right, with the things that we can physically and to help them spiritually, lift them up. That's the most important thing we give to people. But I don't know, as I was thinking about that, I wonder if it was a bigger thing for us than it was for them. I saw the kids, and, and they were playing joyfully, man. They were jumping off roofs, barefooted. I can't even walk in my kitchen barefooted. It hurts. All right, I saw the people as they were praying for their food. They were thanking God for their vegetables. But for us, what we were asking is, where's the meat? We think we're more blessed. But I wonder if we are. Consider that Jesus here is teaching people who didn't know where their next meal or clothing was going to come from. What do we wonder? Do you wonder whether your next meal is going to come from? Or do you wonder, should we eat Italian today, Mexican, or Greek? Do you wonder where your next piece of clothing is? Or do you wonder how you look on today's outfit? Because if you don't like the way I look, I have five more outfits in my closet to try on for you. It's, it's different for us. But, but I wonder, guys, if it's not going to be more harder for us to not depend on money to not depend on our riches to have more worry and anxiety because of that in some way our possessions our riches give us more to worry about my house is losing its value or is it gaining my my, my 401k for for me i don't have a 401k so for me it's 401k is it gaining or is it losing jesus said be careful be careful laying up possessions where thieves can come in and steal in Matthew 6. 
you got a, a gun to protect your house, but now you're worried about someone breaking in and stealing it. It never ends. It never ends. Another point that I want to make before we get into the, of, of the study is, is, is look at the second word. What's the second word that you read there? Can anyone tell me? I. I. Therefore, I. Jesus is, is, is referencing himself. Uh, he referenced himself hundreds of times in the gospel. In the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, he referenced himself 63 times. I say, I say. A couple of scriptures to give you an example, Matthew 3, 9. And do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. In Matthew 5.18 says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Matthew 5.20, another verse. Matthew 5.31-32, which deals with marriage, which the church today has to pay attention to, that you just can't go and say divorce is as easy as getting a certificate. No, he says, I say to you, that you cannot divorce unless it's due to infidelity. And even then, God hates divorce. So we have to understand who it is that's speaking to us here. Notice, it says, I say to you. It's personal. It's personal. As if the Lord, you know, not saying it, shouldn't be enough to convince us, huh? It's the Lord. These are red letters that you're reading if you've got a good Bible. It's the Lord that's speaking to us. And yet he has to say, I say to you. Sometimes he even adds emphasis, verily, verily, which means truly, truly. If you're from the neighborhood in Almani, it simply said, serio. But it's said, right? We need to understand who it is that's speaking to us. If someone tells me something or tells you something, give it its due weight. But if Jesus tells you, treat it preciously. Sit up. Pay attention. Listen. He wants to speak to you. All of God's word for that matter, right? Because what does 2 Timothy 3.16 say? That all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture. So I digress. Jesus says what? Therefore I say to you, do not worry. I like the amplified uh, translation because it, it, it emphasizes it more. It says, therefore, I tell you, stop being worried or anxious perpetually, uneasy, distracted about your life. Are you a worrier? Then you should probably do what that guy that was dealing with anxiety did. He worried so much that he decided to hire someone to do his worrying for him. And he actually found a man who agreed to be his hired warrior for a salary of $200,000 a year. That's a pretty good chunk of change, huh? But after the man accepted the job, he noticed the dude's shoes, and he said, this guy's broke, man. How is he going to afford to pay me $200,000 a year? So he asked the man, how are you going to pay me that money? To which the man responded, well, that's for you to worry about. There was a lady uh, during the week I was by myself here at church named Socorro, if you can keep her in prayer. She came into the church and she had this, this funeral um, uh, program in her hands. 
and apparently it was for a, a sister that we had had a, a funeral service here, a lady that we had had a funeral service for a couple years ago. And the first thing she said, she didn't even say hi, she says, I want to have my service here when I die. And so, of course, you know, you're a little taken back. You know, you expect, uh, hello, how are you? My name is Henry, this and so. But she just said, I want to have my service here when I die. And I, and I think that, that God at that moment spoke uh, because the, the first thing that I told her is, that's so cool. Yeah, I need to be a better planner than that. You know, I'm not as good as a planner as you are. I believe the reason why you um, came here, you drove here. It's an elderly lady during COVID times. was because you're a planner. And in some sense, you're a worrier. Notice that people that are, are worriers are really good planners. They, they don't leave nothing to doubt. They're always, you know, crossing their T's and dotting their I's. I said, but you're thinking about the day of your service. Have you thought about what happens afterwards? And she kind of gave me this strange look like, what you talking about, Willis? Um, and I said, yeah, I mean, you're thinking about the day, and, and that only lasts a couple hours. And, and you know what? I, I think it's great that you're thinking about your family, but what about eternity? I think that we need to have a perspective of eternity. And again, in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Notice he mentions eating, he mentions drinking, and he mentions clothing. And when you think of it, isn't that the essentials of life? I mean, we, we must eat, right? It depends on the person, but if a person goes 8 to 21 days without eating, they say they can actually starve. You actually start eating uh, your insides. Your body starts eating its inside. inside. Now, Jesus and Moses, they fasted for 40 days, but that was a supernatural thing could only do it for so long we, we we must drink liquid we must drink water three days tops without drinking water and, and you're in trouble right and, and you know we must be protected from the elements clothing 17 minus 17 degrees fahrenheit and they're saying that you can freeze to death now imagine without clothing and not even talking about the shame right remember one of the first acts that, that god did after the fall was clothe Adam and Eve. Put some fig leaves on them, right? Not fig leaves. They got the fig leaves. He put some leather on them, right? And so in essence, don't worry about yourself, about the essentials. Jesus then forces us to put life in perspective. Notice that. He makes us ask the question, what is the meaning of life? I was thinking about that. I was thinking on our deathbed, will we be saying, I always wanted to try caviar, but I never got the chance. Or, I don't know, a drink of some forth. We're Christians, so it has to be non-alcoholic. I always want to try that Indian chai tea that everybody's talking about. But I never got the chance. Or, you know, I didn't even make it this year to Nordstrom's annual sale. And it was supposed to be really good. I'm bummed out about that. No. We're not going to be thinking or talking about that. On our deathbed, it is then that many will realize what really matters. What the meaning of life really matters. Is it working the 60, 70 hours to provide for those toys that you want? Is it taking those, those vacations and, and putting yourself in debt to where now you're forced to, to be working? Is it owning so much that it begins to own you? 
or, or, or we will be asking, what's my relationship with God if we ever find ourselves at that time on our deathbed? We will be asking, how did I do with my loved ones? How did I treat them? How did I love them? We will be asking ourselves, what did I do with what God gave me? Christians have the privilege to think and act before that day comes. And I think that's what Jesus is reminding us. He says, number one, don't worry. And number two, think of what really matters. Why? Well, we covered the dangers of worrying, right? We, we know that, that this explosion and anxiety, a lot of it stems from just simple worry, not having a grip on your worries, not having a healthy relationship with your anxieties and giving them to God, trusting in God. But Jesus now points to the reason we aren't to worry. Look at what it says in verse 26. It says, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asked another question. Are you not more, are you not of more value than they? I like J.C. Ryle's commentary. He says, Jesus sends us to the birds of the air for instruction. They make no provision for the future. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. They do not store food for the future. They literally live from day to day on what they can pick up by using the instinct God has put in them. They ought to teach us that no one doing their duty in the position to which God has called them will ever be allowed to come to poverty. Now the Greek word, for look, which is what he's asking us to do, to look at the birds as an example. It, it, it means in the Greek to fix your eyes upon, to stare, to meditate. It includes the idea of contemplation and consideration. Now, the last time I checked, I don't know about you, I don't see birds wearing overalls and driving tractors, right? They don't farm, they don't reap, they don't shop at Costco. Why? Because it says your heavenly father feeds them. Verse 26. Psalm 37, 25. David says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. Now why does Jesus say your heavenly father? Because birds, animals, sorry Peter, aren't God's creation. They're not his children. They're God's creation, not his children. He says, you're a heavenly father. He's trying to put emphasis on the fact that if he, f if he feeds the birds, if they're not freaking out about where their next meal is going to come, why should we be freaking out? Why should we be putting so much emphasis? Well, who are his children, you may ask? The answer is Christians. I pray you and I. John, you know, chapter 1, verse 12 plainly tells us, but as many as received him, him being Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So the question that you need to ask yourself is, am I more valuable than a bird? I pray that you, that you answer yes. Because that's what the Greek word means, be of more value, be more worth than be superior be excellent that's a question that jesus is asking don't you think that you are more are, are more excellent in my eyes and my father's eyes than a bird and if you answered yes yes i'm more valuable than my pet parrot then why are you tripping jesus didn't say that but in essence that's what he means why are you tripping 
The danger of worrying is that it gets you sick. Uh, Corey Tim Boom says, worrying, worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. But I would say even more dangerous than our physical and mental health is our testimony that we give to a dying, hell-bound world. Because of all people, of all people on this, wor- on this world, who should be the most confident, not in ourselves, but in our God who provides, in the fact that we sang that song, great is your faithfulness. Who? Us. Do we believe that God's got this? Are we shaking? Are we paralyzed? Are we, are we glued to the TV seeing what's next? I'm not talking about being careless or, or, or not caring. I'm saying, do you believe that God's got this? God calls us to be prudent. I, I'm not saying that God is not asking us to think less. What I'm saying is he's calling us to trust more. Are we doing that? And is that reflected in our lives? Chuck Smith in his commentary says, I think the context of what Jesus is teaching is not to worry less about life. What he's teaching is not to worry about life altogether. We worry about our past. Did I say the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Did I do the right thing? Do they like me? We worry about our present. What shall I do today? Where shall I go? But most of all, we worry about what? Our future. Yesterday is past. Today is almost over. I'm still here. I've made it this far. I've had dinner tonight. I have a place to rest my head. But what about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? How will I survive? How will I eat? How will I pay my bills? How will I pay the rent? We get to the 31st of the month. The rent is paid. And instead of saying, thank you, God, we start worrying right away about the new month, about the months ahead. What about the last five years? Who's paid the rent then? Here's a saying that the average person crucifies himself between two thieves. The thief of regret of yesterday and the thief of the worry of tomorrow. Trust God, Pastor Chuck Smith said. He's aware of us. He's aware of our needs. He will take care of us. I read about a missionary who was attacked by a lion and during the attack he prayed fervently that God would help him. And God heard his prayer and saved him. But that same missionary was up that night trying to kill a pesky mosquito. In the morning, uh, the missionary says that God told him, I saved you from the lion and you couldn't trust me with a mosquito. And in, all, in, in some kind of way, isn't that us sometimes? We take the big things to God. But we don't take the small things to God. I remember as a kid, my mom sent me because she was trying to get away from me. Okay, I'll be honest. I was a bad kid to a YMCA camp. And I was a bad kid at that YMCA camp. Isaac, close your ears. And the uh, counselors, in order to teach me a lesson, had me hold a little rock like this. And so have you guys ever seen the movie Grease? When John Travolta walks up to the track, he's all like thinking he's bad, like he's say nothing, you know. I did that with the rock, and I had the rock. And it was like five minutes, ten minutes. I was like, cool. But after a while, man, that rock, that little rock, it got heavy. It got heavy. And my pride would not let it 
go down. And it was hurting, and it was hurting, and I was thinking, God, that's kind of what we do with these worries. We hold on to them. We don't, we don't, we don't take it you. We think, well, it's just it's little. It's a little rock. And we hold on to them, and we hold on to them, and pretty soon they're heavy, and they're heavy. And from there stems anxiety disorders. And we've got to be careful. Romans 5, 8 through 9, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, and it should be highlighted in the slide behind you, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. So in essence, what is it saying? When you were still a sinner, I sent the most precious person on your behalf what is it that you don't think that I will do for you now, child, that you belong to me? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Romans 5.10, same thing. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of the Son, much more. I repeat, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Amen. Hallelujah, if we were Pentecost. All right? I love my wife. I told her I was going to talk about her. She's God's gift to me. She is. She's, she's an excellent driver, especially when she's sitting on the passenger side. You know what I mean, guys, right? But sometimes what she says is true. Sometimes. Sometimes. She says that I'm a, I'm a looker. I'm a, I'm a tourist when I drive. I look this way. I look that way. I'm a sightseer, basically, you know? I, I, I put my sight on everything that I shouldn't except the one thing I should, and what's that? What's right in front of me, right? The front windshield. And she's right. There's been a couple of close calls, man, where I'm looking at a poster, I'm looking at that car, I'm looking at, and someone stops right in front of me. She's right. Don't tell her that, but she's right. But that's what we do with worrying. Um, it causes us to look all around. It, it pulls us from all kinds of different direction, and it makes us look everywhere except where we need to, which is up. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, let us lay aside every weight. Every weight is those things that hold us down. A runner, when he runs, he wants to be efficient. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, which of course holds us down, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to be looking up. The more we do that, the less worry will weigh us down. In fact, when we worry, we should ask ourselves two questions. Can I do something about it? Yes or no? If we conclude that we can do something about it, pray and do it. Stop worrying. If you conclude that you can't, pray and leave it in God's hands. What's the point of worrying, right? That's what Jesus says next. Look at verse 27. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now some argue that this doesn't mean height, that that really the language when it was said means days of life which makes sense but it's semantics it doesn't give you neither in fact if you listen to the statistics worrying can take life away from you have you ever seen someone that is drowned in worries they're hunched over they're less taller they got that weight on their back 
That's all they can talk about. That's all that you see in their eyes. Worry shrinks you and it kills you guys. Abel and I were talking about a sister who is going through something right now and that's all that she's just focusing on. What does she need to do as a believer? She needs to look up to the Savior. Amen? It's been said that that worrying is like rocking on a rocking chair. It's something to do, but it won't ever get you nowhere. I like that. Let's read verses 28 through 29 together. So why do you worry about clothing? Jesus asked. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown out into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so Jesus, from sending us to the birds, now sends us to the field. He repeats his questioning to get us to think that God will provide. Are we more important than flowers? Solomon, even in all his riches, our text says, couldn't compare to the glory and beauty found in lilies, in a field of lilies. You have that slide there? Yes, no, maybe so. You can see it's beautiful. God made that. God intricately designed that. He did that for our pleasure. He did that for His glory. The Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Much more important than birds. Much more important than flowers. Why don't we think that he's got this? Why don't we think that he's got this COVID situation? Why don't we think that he, he, he has a plan for this racial divide? For this political division that we're living in? He does. We just have to trust him. We have to keep our eyes focused on him. We can't exhibit fear. We can't exhibit worrying. We can't fake it until you make it. We really truly can't be those type of people because we're the only chance that this dying world has. We are the ambassadors for God. We're going to go to people and say, there is a God. God has a plan. All you have to do is look up to him, trust in his son. If they see you and I worrying, why would they want to be Christians? The problem really is, is what Jesus says, you of little faith. Pastor Greg's teaching on Sunday um, was titled Strategy of the Devil. And he basically said in a nutshell that the devil's trying to dismantle our faith piece by piece. Right? And he used text in Isaiah, and, and, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. That's his plan. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But also, we have to ask ourselves, are we developing our faith? Are we building up our faith as we should? Are we spending time with him in his word and in prayer earnestly? Not just to chalk it up as something that we did, the religious thing for the day. Are we doing it because we want to meet with him? Only you and God can answer that. Is your faith squandering? Work it out. Work it out. Build it up. Ask the Lord for his help. Look back at all he's done. The Israelites were told to stack up stones. Why? In remembrance of what God had done for them. Amen? And so look back. Your faith is, is squandering. Your faith is weak. Your faith is little right now. Look back at what God has done. 
who you used to be prior to Christ, where you were headed before the Lord. Look back and allow what God has done to build you up. Ralph Waldo Emerson was quoted as saying, sorrow looks back, worry looks around, but faith looks up. And another quote from Corey Tim Boone, which is uh, now a manyism because he uses it so much. He says, look around and be distressed. Look inside and be distressed or depressed, excuse me, but look at Jesus and be at rest. I like that. Ariana sang a song, and I asked her, I said, do you know that song, Do It Again, by Elevation, I think? And she says, yeah, I'm going to sing it tonight. And I said, how cool, because before she even told me, that was one of the songs that I was thinking about. And, and the lyrics to that song, we sang them, walking around these walls. Whatever those walls might be in your life. Maybe it's the season that we're living in that you're just like, man, I can't believe we're, I mean, am I in a dream? Is this real? Maybe you thought by now these walls should have fallen. Maybe a personal thing that's going on in your life, an illness, something, a fear, an anxiety that you're dealing with. I thought, Lord, by now these walls should have fallen. But then, what does the song say? But you have never failed me yet. It says, waiting for change to come, knowing, and that's the key, knowing the battle's won for you have never me yet. And Ariana asked me, should I say that part yet? Because I think as Christians we're kind of weird. We're like, yet? What does that mean? That he's going to fail us? No. It just simply means he hasn't done it and he's not going to do it. Why? Because Romans 8.28 says all things work out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So nothing, nothing that God does is going to fail us because it's a purpose for it. It's going to work out for good. Amen? Let's read verses 31 and 34. Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. There's our word, therefore, again. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Therefore, therefore what? Because I said, because I am the Lord, because I am your master, because I died for you, because I love you. Therefore, I said, don't worry. Jesus said it, I believe it. Don't worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Again, He's dealing with the essentials of life. We have to understand what he's telling us. He says, I got you. I got this. Remember, there's a warning in there, though, because we started with the context. Don't hold on to those things. Hold on to God, and God will provide. We can't serve two masters, like it says in verse 24. Look what it says in, in the first part of verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Now, most of the time in the Bible, when you see the word Gentile, it just simply means non-Jew. But here, Jesus is referring to non-believers, heathens. You're either a saint or you're an ain't, right, like we talk about. He's talking about people that aren't saved, that are, that are going to, to hell in a handbasket. He says that's what they're after. That's their pursuit. That's their worry. That's their goal. That's their anxiety. What do I eat? What shall I wear? What am I going to drink? The essentials of life. They worry, but we shouldn't. Why? 
Well, look at what it says in the second part of that verse. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows that you need shelter. He knows that you need food. He knows that you need clothing. He knows that you need water. He knows the essentials. There was an old show, um, too old for me, but some of you might know it, called Father Knows Best. And it was an old show about a father's wisdom. Boy, is that twisted in today that they tell you that a father is just side-dressing, huh? But it's, it, it, it's, it's true of our father. Our father knows best. He knows what we need. Lord, today I want a filet mignon. Nope, you need beans and rice. All right, Lord, you know what I need. Not my greeds, just my needs, huh? Look what it says in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what do you want me to do? How can I help you, God? Now, I don't presume to speak for God, but when I read this, I see that as God answering. And he answers, you can't. You can't help me. That's not your job. Your job is to simply follow me, to, 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 to keep your eyes on me, to consider my things, my righteousness, to be about me. When we do, look what it says. The second part of verse 33. And all these things shall be added to you. We don't have time to go there, but in Second Chronicles, God appeared to the next king in line, which is David's son, Solomon. And he asked him, ask what I shall give to you. And we're all familiar with that, right? It's the, 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 uh, the, the story as kids that we heard of the, 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 the three wishes from a genie. And in all reality, isn't that how we approach God sometimes? God, I'm going to pray, and in some sense, I'm rubbing the lamp, and I'm going to ask you for what I want. And Lord, I'm going to have the faith to believe that you're going to give it to me. Well, remember what happened to Solomon when he didn't think of himself, but he, thanked, he, he thought of God's people. He thought of God's kingdom. He thought of God's righteousness. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 11 through 12. I'll read it for you. Then God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you've not asked for riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked for a long life, but you've asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself. And in all reality, it wasn't for himself. It was that he would judge his people. It says that you may judge my people over whom I made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, he said. And I'll give you everything else. I'll give you riches, wealth. I'll give you honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you the like. So when we put God first, he's going to throw in all these things. Man, he's going to bless us beyond we can ever imagine, beyond what any striving on our part would ever get us. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. So that's our giving. That's our life. Honor the Lord with your possessions, and with the first fruits of all your increases, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. What is he saying there? Honor me first, and you'll see how blessed you're going to be. Now, it's not the name it and, and claim it uh, uh, philosophy of ministry. We don't believe that, but we also don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The Bible teaches us that when we put God first, He will bless us. And how many of you guys can attest to that? How many of you guys have seen God provide in your life in miraculous ways? You didn't know how you were going to pay the rent, and all of a sudden something happened. 
and you found yourself being able to pray. Or how are you going to pay for this or pay for that or this illness or that? And you're still here today. Praise God. He provides. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, you know, give me the caviar, the, the Indian chai tea or the best sale day at Nordstrom's, that's probably a good thing. Because it would do me harm instead of good, right? Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Matthew 5 says, says Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so as we close our text with verse 34, we have to see the rich but practical advice that Jesus closes with on worry. This is the one that we got to take home in our pocket. Because it's so rich, but it's yet so practical. It's almost like what he said. Can, can worrying add one inch to your height? Can worrying add one day to your life? No. He says in verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Why? For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. Amen? What good advice. How foolish is to borrow trouble from tomorrow when you already got a handful of it today. Some years back, and my wife can attest to this, we had a neighbor who had a rooster. And the rooster, as roosters do, crowed a few times a day. But because I was already used to his peskiness, I was up anticipating his daily wake-up calls hours before it came. Isn't that what we do with worrying? We worry about it so much. Hours, days, years, lifetimes before they ever come. So, in closing, I just want to give you five things to take away from this text. Number one, worrying and reality. Dr. Ray, our resident Dr. Luke, uh, here at Calvary Chapel, Almani was telling me today that studies have been performed on the effects of worrying on patients. It showed that a person's body and their mind suffer the consequences of what they were worried about. And 95% of the time, what they were worried about never happened. Worry in reality. Put it in perspective. Mark Twain said, I'm an old man and I've known many troubles, most of which never happened. Take your worrying to the Lord and put it in perspective. Second thing is worrying and prayer, which is the answer. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Your prayers are so, so important. Make sure that you live a life in your prayer life where you are dependent on God. <laughs> my, my, my son Isaac, most of you guys know him, he's sitting there in the front row. He told me to tell you that he's nine and three quarters, right? Because he's almost 10 in a couple of weeks. Well, he was praying today over his food. And he said, Lord, thank you for this food. Bless it to my body and help me not to choke on it. The prayers of a kid, huh? It's honest. But isn't that how we should pray? Shouldn't we be that dependent on God? Lord, keep me safe from it. Help me in every aspect of my life. Help me with the lion and help me with the mosquito. Help me. I don't want to worry. Martin Luther says, pray and let God worry. So in some sense, as a Christian, you've hired God 
as your salary worrier. You don't got to pay him anything. That's how cool it is. You pray and you let him worry about things. You give it to him. In First Peter 5, 7, Peter says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Amen? Second or third thing is worrying and praise. Harry Ironside says, We worry less if we praise more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. This year as you gather together for Thanksgiving, instead of thinking everything that Governor Newsom did to ruin your Thanksgiving, thank God. Thank God. Live a life of appreciation. Thank him for whatever meal. If it's just a sandwich, who cares? Thank him for the fact that you're here to live another life. Because there's a pastor at Downey who's no longer here. There's people that we know that are no longer here. Thank him. Have an attitude of praise. Sing. Play worship in your house. I love to hear my son Isaac worship because my wife's always playing worship and he just sings. And that's the type of attitude that we have. Another thing to take away is worry in scripture. Psalm 32 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. I forgot to put a slide, but on social media of a sister who attended church here, her name is Brenda. Her daughter just went to the um, Air Force just took off to the Air Force. And so you could imagine that must have been hard for mom and for the daughter. But the daughter left behind a series of notes, and in those notes it says, read when you're feeling sad. Read on your birthday. Read on Christmas Day. Read on this day. Read on that day. And I thought, how how special. What a blessing. What a thoughtful gift that is to give to a mom. But isn't that what your father has done? Hasn't he given you his word and said, read in times of worry? Remember those glasses that we would break in case of an emergency? Well, that's what the word of God is. Not just in case of an emergency, but he's given it to you. Especially during those times. Read it. Scripture and, and worrying. There's scripture. Worrying is no match for scripture. Worrying in Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so in closing, let's ask ourselves the question, are we warriors or are we overcomers? Because Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is a verse that we should really be familiar with. It's on all the cups. And as warriors, which a lot of us are, it should really be a verse that we take to heart, which is basically saying be anxious for nothing. Well, but no, about some things, the big things, no. It says for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so I know that we're, we're over the time. I want to close with something Warren Worsby said about worry. He says, from the spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking. The mind and the wrong feeling, the heart, about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. But it's not enough for us, however, to tell ourselves to quit worrying because that will never capture the thief of worry. Worry is an inside job. It takes more than good intentions to get the victory. The antidote to worry is a secure mind and the peace of God shall keep you, which means garrison, guard like a soldier, your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The verse that I just read. 
When you have the secure mind, the peace of God guards you. And the God of peace guides you. And so you might be thinking, well, thanks a lot, Henry. Not only do I worry a lot, but now I'm worrying about worrying. With that kind of backup, with that kind of protection that I just read Brother Worsby talk about, 